It's cool to see a lot of friendly faces out there tonight. Um, if you know me, which most of you do, you know that I don't like to have silence and I normally fill it with my own voice. But if it's not my own voice, it's music. I love listening to music and um, Nadine and I lived together for five years and I drove her crazy with my um, alarm song, didn't I? Yeah, Carly Rae Jepsen, Call Me Maybe. <laughs> that was my wake up. I'd leave it on snooze and then, yeah, she'd have to. But normally, I pick more significant songs than that. Um, <laughs> I do. <laughs> and there's one of my favourite songs is called Father Along by a guy called Josh Garrels. If you look it up on YouTube, it'll be, like, it'll be really cool if you look it up. Because um, I'm not going to sing it to you because that would be bad. But there's a line in the song that says, I wonder why the good man died and the bad man thrives. And Jesus cries because he loves them both. And later in a song he sings, There's so much more to life than we've been told. It's full of beauty that will unfold and shine like you've struck gold. Both are true. On the same day that I celebrated the birth of my friend's son last year, I was in the hospital, sat beside my beautiful friend who was hours away from going to be with Jesus. The day I was born was a month after my lovely mum lost her mum. I can't quite imagine what it's like to celebrate the birth of your daughter at the same time as grieving the loss of your mum. In the same year, I celebrated 10 and 16 and I got my GCSEs and I did all right. It was the same year that I had watched my mum suffer in pain in hospital and almost die in front of me. In 2012, I saw a God at work in so many people's lives, and I saw people encounter Jesus for the first time and made some extraordinary friendships. That was the same year that I came off a chairlift snowboarding and ripped my knee apart and did more damage than I could imagine. In the same year that Nadine and I trekked to Everest Base Camp and witnessed probably the most incredible sights and experiences of our lives, two weeks later, there was a horrific earthquake that shook that same place where I trod and it crumbled and wrecked a nation. And then we saw the same people from all over the world rebuild the roads in Nepal and you see humanity shines. I met a lady in 2011 in Uganda and in the same 28 years that I'd lived and breathed and gone to school, gone to college and university and deliberated about what prom dress to wear and which guy I fancied, She'd spent the same 28 years hiding in the bush after being abducted by rebel soldiers in Uganda who raped and abused her. And as she told me her story and I sobbed embarrassingly in front of her, she held my hands and she said, do you know Jesus? And I said, yeah. And she said, why are you crying then? Because he rescued me out of the pit and he's rescued you too. In Uganda, um, one of my favourite places in the world, and I'm looking out and seeing a lot of other people that probably agree, that it's one of the most amazing countries to go and visit. There's a tree outside a centre called Living Hope, and there's a bit of land there. And um, we were intrigued by this tree and this land, and there was a story going on, so I kind of, you know, liking to hear some sound, went over to where people were talking. And I heard the they didn't really know what to do with that land. No one wanted to build on that land because that tree, that site, was where rebel soldiers had lined up whole families and just shot them. 
against that tree and there was bloodshed. That was the story of that place. Christians went into that place, bought that land and built a centre called Living Hope. Living Hope exists to bring living hope to the women who were victims of those atrocities and that civil war. Living Hope built on that same land. We visited a village in Gulu. That land, it was hard to buy land in Uganda because that land, no one wanted to buy it. It was bloodshed. It was a rebel army base. Well, you need to know now that in Gulu, on that same land, there is an entire village of orphan children that have been rescued. There's a school. There's a church. Leaders of Uganda are being raised in a more godly way. And there is peace in that area. In the same world where God is good and loving and just, there is tragedy, suffering and evil. And it doesn't make sense. Or if you're anything like me, just when you think you've got your head around one of those things, there's another curveball, and it feels like everything's out of kilter. A guy called Rob Bell writes, The first Christians insisted that when Jesus died on the cross, this wasn't just another execution by the Roman Empire. They believed that this was the divine, in flesh and blood, hanging there on a cross, bloody, thirsty, suffering. This is a God who is not somewhere else, not remote, not detached, not distant, but a God who is among us, feeling what we feel and aching how we ache and suffering like us. Not going to lie, this is not an easy topic for me to talk on, and um, especially to sit amongst my friends who, whose stories I know, <coughs> and my own story. We're no strangers to seeing or experiencing suffering or witnessing evil in this world. We turned on the TV this week, France and Turkey. So I stand here as someone who really doesn't have it all figured out. But there is one very real person that I cling to and I put my complete trust in, and that's Jesus Christ. In preparing for this talk, I did something a little bit scary um, I found it a bit scary, I found it really uncomfortable, but I decided to write down every uncomfortable question, doubt, and challenge that I could think of on this topic and just have it there in black and white in front of me. And I'll be honest, it made me feel a little bit sick after. And I put it to one side for a bit. But here are some of the, the things that I wrote. If God is so good, then why does he allow suffering and why is there evil in this world? Why do we think that God is good? Where does it say that? What does that mean? What do I mean by evil? How do I account for the wrong things that people do? Why didn't God create robots that just love him and never rebelled? What about natural disasters? Why did God create us with free will if free will is the problem? Why is there a world that is so dangerous with earthquakes and volcanoes and tsunamis and things like that? But in the same breath, I ask myself, why do we continue to build cities on fault lines where we know there'll be earthquakes? Why does God allow poverty and extreme hunger? But then how is it that in a world that produces enough food to feed a global population of 7 billion people, that one in eight people on the planet go to bed hungry each night? 
and a third of all food produced is never consumed, but just wasted. These questions are tied to an even bigger one, though. Is God good? And what are the implications of us saying that God is good, then? There's a book in the Bible called Job. It's in the Old Testament. Have a look at it if you want some light reading. (laughs) You guys have read it, right? I've known for a while, or I'd known for a while, that Job was the book to read if you wanted to get to the bottom of this issue of evil and in the world and suffering. In fact, I thought it probably was going to have the answers. So in October 2012, I flew out to Marrakesh and decided to sit on the top of a Riyadh on the roof, like where you're allowed to sit, not just like randomly climb it, to read Job. The precursor to me doing this was that I just had two new friends independently tell me of horrific situations that had happened to them. And um, as we were chatting, they said to me, so what you're saying, Joy, is God really loves me. And I was like, yeah, God really loves you. And what you're saying is he's always been there in my life, even though I haven't known it. I'm like, yeah, he's been there in your life. So what you're saying is God has really loved me all the time, and he's been there with me through everything, and he just watched all of that happen to me and let it happen. That's what you're saying. And I was stumped in that moment. Confronted with that question from a real live person. Around that time, there were other tragedies in our church family, and this matter of evil and suffering plagued me. And this idea of a good God was perplexing me in a way that I couldn't shake. I knew that I needed to chat to God. And it went something like this, in all honesty. God, I love you so much, and I love telling people about you. And I love testifying to the work that you've done in my life. But some things have happened, and things have gone down, and I don't know what to say about you in this. Give me something, because I don't know what I'm supposed to say. So, I then went to Morocco to read Job. I, went, I think I went for a holiday, but I also went to read Job. So in a nutshell, and you guys seem to resonate with the story of Job, Job's a blameless, upright man. He has kids and a wife and lots of land, lots of sheep, and most of all, he loves God. And it doesn't get much better than that. Apart from Satan comes out and challenges God on Job's goodness. He claims that Job is only good because God gives him stuff and God blesses him. And surely, Job would totally turn around and curse him if you took all of that away from him. So Satan kills all of Job's family except his wife kills off his livestock, kills his servants, reduces his home to dust. But Job remains loyal. He refuses to denounce God. And in the meantime, Satan decides, okay, right, well, I'm going to give him a nasty rash, boils and blisters all over his body. At this point, we see Job start to crack. He had been loyal to God. He'd done all the right things, said the right prayers, sang all the right lines, turned up to church, He'd done all the right things. He hadn't made lots of bad choices. He doesn't renounce God, but instead he insists that he deserves some sort of explanation about what was going on. Seems okay, right? We turned up to church. We've sang the songs. We've led kids' church. We've done all the right things. We're pretty good people. We want an explanation. 
His friends, helpfully, start to tell him that it's basically his fault, that there's sin in his life. Has anyone been on the receiving end of that one? <laughs> one guy called um, Zoffa, I think, I don't know, um, says, you, if you put your sin away, if you put that sin that's in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then free of fault, you will lift up your face and you will stand firm without fear. You will surely forget your trouble, recalling it only as water's gone by. Life will be brighter than the noonday and the darkness will become like morning. Thanks. Helpful. You haven't got boils on your body. If you've ever spent time with a suffering friend, you'll know how difficult it is to be present and not say anything and not offer a solution and just be there. But you'll also know how important it is to have done that. We want to investigate often what's gone wrong and try and work out a solution. We'd rather give a reason for the suffering, rightly or wrongly, than to accept that there might be mystery at the heart of it and we just don't know. Job's friends really struggle to move away from this whole idea that God is punishing people that get it wrong and they make it all Job's fault. The harsh reality is that we live in the consequences of our own mistakes and other people's mistakes, some of them deliberate and some of them accidental. Some of those consequences and mistakes and choices are of people that have gone before us. We live with making the best of a broken situation all of the time. Fundamentally, this world has been broken for so many years that it's just broken and broken. And our starting point in this world is that nearly everything is broken in some way due to sin and the sin that's happened before us. By the end of Job, God's heard everyone's two pence worth and on, uh, in everyone's opinion on the matter of his affliction. And he really goes on for a while. So I'll let you read that in your own time, okay? But I've just ch- taken a chunk out of it. And he says... To Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the seas, sea behind the doors and when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed limits for it and set its doors in bar, in, and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. God doesn't give Job an answer. But he really goes to town on telling him and reminding Job of who he is. Friends, when I read this, I was cross because I felt like I wasn't getting to ask the why question. I felt like I was left with, well, you're not God. So I took it to God and I wrestled with God and I talked to God about it and God drew me closer because of that. I've always believed that God is at work even if I can't see it and I believe that God is good. I've experienced suffering and I've seen my loved ones in pain. I've seen injustice and I've witnessed evils that break my heart. But I can stand here and testify to God's goodness in my life and the lives around me. I've witnessed hope being restored, lives being redeemed, 
sickness being healed, relationships being restored, and peace and forgiveness reigning when it looked like it shouldn't happen and it wouldn't happen. The Bible is full of examples and testimonies of God's goodness, and so is our church family. It says in Psalms, You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his love endures forever. The Lord is good to all, and he is compassion on all he has made. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. In my wrestling with God, I started to wonder, what answer was I really hoping for? Was I trying to find an acceptable reason for bad and broken things happening? Or confirmation that God was good? I thought of the few situations that I'd been in where I'd supported people, and I started to wonder, if God were to unpack it all for me and unpick what was going on, and show me the bigger picture and the knock-on effect that his non-intervention was having, would I be okay with it? I don't know that I would. Because I'm not God. I'm not sure that I would see and love the whole world the way God does. He's given me a family and people around me, and friends, and a community that I love dearly, and that are my tribe. And I love a little bit beyond that. I might love a little bit beyond that. I might love a bit of Uganda. I might love a bit of this place, and a bit of the remote. But essentially, my community, you guys, you're my family. And when something happens here, I don't know if I get the why, or that it's okay at that point. So I'm deeply impacted when you guys are suffering, when I'm suffering. I'm impacted with what I see on the news. And I'm forever saddened by the choices that people make that cause so much of it. I do know, in my wrestling on top of that rooftop in Morocco, that God requires me to remain uncomfortable by suffering. I kind of coined it, I don't know if anyone else coined it, but a holy uncomfortableness. I'm supposed to not be okay with it. I'm supposed to not be okay with injustice and suffering and evil and sickness because they're not things of God's kingdom. They're not going to be there. Bad stuff doesn't come from God. It's right to be angry and indignant about these things and feel sad about it. They're all right reactions. God is indignant about these things too. But it's important that we remember that that stuff doesn't come from God. God is good and is never the source of our suffering. So, one of these questions that I've uh, wrestled with with lots of friends, why didn't God create us as robots and that just love him and never rebel? Real love is to choose to love, not just because of what you have or what you can get out of somebody, but because you choose. God created us out of love and there's nothing but love towards us. His every move towards us is for our benefit. Creativity is an expression of his love and all good things are created out of love. When he created us, he had to create us with the ability to choose to love him back with the danger that we might not. 
In fact, you can't create something that's going to be free if you make them love you. His main purpose for creating us that we would be in relationship with him beyond our lives on earth as well. And he can't make people love him. He can't make us do it because we wouldn't be free. And therefore, it's every possibility that free people choose evil and not be controlled by God. Because God can't control it without eliminating that freedom. And you know what? We bat this term around, free will. It's not an add-on to our human nature, but it is so integral to who we are. Because if you think about people that we know in our lives where it seems like their choice has been taken away from them or they can't make choices, and we feel like it's dehumanised them in some way. Jesus endured a suffering beyond all comprehension. He bore the punishment for the sins of the entire world. can't even get my head around that. For the wrong that all of us have done from the beginning of time. None of us can comprehend that kind of suffering. Because he was innocent, he voluntarily took that on himself. Because he loves us. And he was like he was saying, I know you don't understand why I allow evil. And it's not possible for you to understand it yet. But just to show you that you can trust me, I'm going to suffer with you. Because he's intimately caught up in our world. Do we trust that God is good? What's the impact of that? What does that look like in real life? Does it sometimes look like not always knowing and then sometimes look like we're laying down the need to know? Is it accepting that God is doing immeasurably more than we can see or imagine? Weirdly, God is not banished because of the problem of evil, but he's the solution himself. God steps into our suffering and we see things from our humanly small perspective and we cannot fathom, I cannot fathom what's happening from God's perspective. I don't know that I always want to. But it's important to know that God is not indifferent to our suffering and our struggle and our pain and the evils that we see. He's not indifferent. He's not distant. So what about when something bad happens? A diagnosis or a decision that doesn't go our way? A political outcome that we might disagree with? Is it God's will because he didn't intervene the way we wanted him to? should have got someone else to talk about this. <laughs> I believe that there's a difference between God's will and his allowance or not to intervene in. God's will is perfect and not broken and God is good. Psalm 18 says, As for God, his way is perfect and the Lord's word is flawless. His will is always in keeping with what we know of God's character. Good things come from God and I believe that will be in, they'll be in line with the Bible. God doesn't always intervene and if I'm honest sometimes I can make sense of why he hasn't intervened and I can look back and go oh that makes sense now and if I'm honest there are some times where I can't and I still can't and I'm yet to meet a Christian who can who can say that they really get it every single time and if you're out there come talk to me after I want to meet you because you're the only one (laughs) God what I'm certain of from, my, from the Bible and my own experience is that I don't know how he does it. I don't, I, I don't know how he does it. 
but somehow he creates beauty and opportunity out of everything. You see, as well as caring about our detail, he cares about our eternity. And his desire is that none of us will perish and that all of us will spend eternity with him. His will is for us to know him. And I don't know why, but pain and suffering sometimes is that catalyst for us being drawn closer to God. It happens. We've seen it happen in our own church family. Don't misunderstand me, though. God doesn't cause our pain and suffering to draw us close to him. Bad stuff can't come from him. He's good. But he does use our suffering to draw us to him. So, God is always good. He's just. He's beaten evil through Jesus. And we live in this weird in-between place between a perfect creation that's broken and messy. And as Jesus helps us navigate this mess to a time where Jesus comes back and evil is banished for good. No sadness, no tears, no pain, no suffering. We live in this broken, broken world and we experience the consequences of our own mistakes and those of others, accidental, some deliberate. And the consequences and choices and lifestyle of those gone before us those that don't even know that we suffer the impact. Even our climate is a consequence of damage before us. God steps into that reality whilst ushering in his kingdom where there's going to be no death and no suffering and no evil. And we do see glimpses of that. In John 9, um, there's a story of a guy who's born blind. You might know it. Jesus goes along and... um, he sees a man who's been born blind. And his disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Because they'd understood that sin means that bad stuff happens. So who had sinned? Because he's been born blind. So who was it? Was it him before he was born? Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And he goes on to heal this guy in the most bizarre way. So read about that in John 9. About mud and spitting and it's gross. (laughs) Jesus encourages us to take our focus off why the man is born blind and to our response to suffering. I don't know how he does it, but I've seen beauty woven through the hopeless situations and sad situations that I've seen and experienced. It's a mystery. And yet it's got God written all over it. I believe that we need to choose to look for what we know by faith. That God is doing immeasurably more than we can see or imagine. Where in our lives do we need to choose to look for where God is working? Or stop to ask him where he's working? Because he is working. And he is doing something in the midst. When I've asked God that question... He reveals something of what he's doing in the midst. There's some pictures of soap sculpting on board. Soap sculptors, that's hard to say fast, I recognise that now, um, understand this. They know that the art of sculpting is what you take away. It's really cool. To get these amazing sculptures, you have to remove and shave off and cut off and file down. And it's in the taking away beauty is formed it's in the filing away and the sanding down that there's creation (laughs) 
Soap sculptors are quite unique, aren't they? Because they can look at a bar of soap and they can see what's in it and what's waiting to be created. We can't. I look at a bar of soap and I think it's a bar of soap. <laughs> Sometimes we look at our situations and we just can't make it out. What, what good, if you've ever sat there, and hopefully I'm not alone, or may, maybe I am alone, if you've ever sat there and gone, I, I don't know what, what you're doing, I don't, I don't know that, I can't work out what good might come out of this. I don't know. But in that moment, we can ask God to show us. We can ask each other. We're not in this on our own. We need to choose to see where God is at work and involved in the midst of our suffering and grief because he is at work. And in this in-between broken world, God is on the move in choosing to see life in all its fullness, beauty within the broken. We edge closer into God's kingdom where brokenness is not a factor. He might not take that suffering away. And friends, that's been more my experience. Sorry. But he does use it and he is working. I've got a, well, we can testify here, I know we can, because I know you guys, that God has pulled us through pain and difficulty. But other of us can't see past the bar of soap, and we need to help each other to see that. We need to stand side by side, shoulder to shoulder, as we endure the brokenness of this world. We need to point each other to lean on Jesus and help each other see what we can't see what they can't see right now. That's what we need to do. We need to step up and do that for the people around us. Speaking about people around us, um, and it's quite funny because like, quite a few of them are in the audience tonight. I've got a few people in my life who are my chatting for hours people, and sometimes that happens at 1am, 2am, and if that's you, I'm sorry in advance, but also not sorry because it's probably going to happen again one day. And um, if you're a fly on the wall of those conversations or those road trips, they descend into wrestling with these questions. We're desperate, me and my tribe, we're desperate to see and hear God in the midst of this broken and uncomfortable world that throws curveballs quicker than I can hit them back. Friends, this is so healthy. My faith is strong and rooted deep into Jesus because of this, because of this wrestling. So I encourage you to face God with your questions and your fears. Don't let the why question become a barrier between you and God. That I had every opportunity to let my whys be the barrier between me and God and to cut me off. But I didn't. This is needed and I know that God meets us in the time that we do that, he always does. So, where are we today? Do you need to wrestle with God? Do you need God to show you where he's at work? Are you suffering? Is there pain? Are you witnessing evils that you can't get your head around? Has the why question become a barrier? We'd love to pray with you if that's you, and there'll be people um, there'll be people around to pray. There's loads of you. You can all pray. <laughs> because God, as we're singing, is our cornerstone. 
our cornerstone. I don't know much about buildings, but I know that the cornerstone is really important. Like the building fall down, falls down without it, right? Men, yes, that's right. <laughs> Afi, Afi's going, yeah, I'm like, you don't know. <laughs> you need that. So he's not distant. He's not absent. He understands more than we realise. And he draws close when we lean in and we cast our cares on him. And by some bizarre miracle that maybe one day he'll let me in on, he weaves beauty in the most unlikely places.